The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Joining us on the program this week are both halves of bi-coastal indie electropop duo Foreign Air. Foreign Air's debut album, Good Morning Stranger, is available now, and their music has over 100 million streams and has been featured in campaigns for Nike and other brands. You can find out more about their work by visiting www.foreignair.net. We are happy to welcome Jesse Clausen and Jacob Michael onto the Break the Business podcast. Hello, gentlemen. How's it going? Thanks for having us, Ryan. It is going excellent, excellent. I love electro pop. Uh, I, I was actually just telling somebody the other day my my favorite album, the my the the king of my album mountain is "Give Up" by the Postal Service, which of course is another. Uh, indie electro pop duo so you guys are just after my own heart right now so i'm excited to learn more about this album and i want to start things off let me ask this to you jesse getting us going here uh can you reflect a bit on the experience of making this album i read that you recorded this in five different cities over three years and used a whole bunch of virtual collaboration tools between the two of you dropbox and audio movers things like that because you were both based in different sides of the country. Uh, what, what was that like, that whole remote experience in making this album? It's definitely been a learning experience. I mean, Jake and I started off with Dropbox and Gmail um, when we met. And I was actually in North Carolina. He was in D.C. We were, we were closer at that time. And I think that helped us to kick off the project early on because he could take a train or get on a plane come to North Carolina, we wrote Free Animal in my bedroom. Um, my bedroom back then was basically like a drum set, a computer station, some synths, and a fold-up like military cot that I had gotten out of my parents' attic. And I would fold that down when I would go to sleep. Um, but we wrote Free Animal there, and that sort of like kick-started things for us. I moved to New York. Um, we... That was almost like, I guess New York is closer than North Carolina. So we were a little bit closer there, but then I moved out to LA. Um, and so we had to learn a lot of other things. And especially even now with, with the situation we're in with COVID, um, we recently got tipped off by our friend Jack Sanderson to a plugin called Audio Movers, which is a plugin you can put in your DAW and it shares in real time your audio to anyone who has this link that the plugin generates. So the person listening doesn't even have to be a producer or have a program. They can just type it in their web browser and hear in real time. So if you're doing mixes and you have mix revisions, we used to do um, mix revisions with by email. You send all these notes, right? Like <laughs> 20 notes. And you're hoping that the person understands your weird comment when they're just reading, just like having a text conversation, you know, in a relationship, it's like, you can easily misunderstand someone's point. And so you'd go through like 14 revisions and this has totally changed the game for us. You know, Jake and I being able to hop on, we'll hop on discord, have our audio, and then I'll share my screen. He'll have the audio movers link. And it's almost like we're just in the room. And in some cases, 
I know Jake has argued that it could be better because you're not so worried, especially if it's a relationship with a new person, like a new, a new person you're working with. You don't have to go to some strange environment where you feel uncomfortable. You don't know how to act. Like if you can go inside to use the restroom or, you know, you're just kind of starting soft, which is cool um, in your own, in your own space. But we've learned a lot over the years and have traveled so much. Like we traveled to Nashville for a couple of weeks to do sessions and we love meeting new people. And our motto has always been, you know, to keep an open mind and to soak in everything you can. So we'd love going to Nashville and meeting with other artists and producers and spending days with them, just writing songs from scratch and, you know, just learning about new plugins people are using and their techniques. And you're always trying to take in new information and become better at your craft. Um, so meeting anyone who's open to sharing, you know, what they're currently into and us also being open to say, you know, we found this new plugin we love. Um, one of the biggest things I've taken away during this process was working with our friend Frederick um, early on. We were in, this was in LA before I moved out here. It was the first time I really saw someone sit down and figure out the harmonies on the piano ahead of time of recording them. Cause I'm, I'm always in an improvising mindset where I'm like, I just want to go. Like we came up with this cool beat, you know, I'm just coming up with melodies, like give me a mic, let's record, let's get the ideas. And sometimes when it comes to harmonies, I would do it like that. I'd say, well, I have a harmony, let's go. But I didn't realize I'm always going to the same types of harmonies because it's just what my brain's used to. And so he was like, well, hold on a second. Let's think about this. You know, we're, we're this is the chord progression. You're singing this melody. Um, if we want a really cool, complex harmony, you might want to do this melody over top of it, but you're not realizing once you get to the third harmony, the second one you already did actually needed to stay on the same note, you know, in order to create this complex four chord harmony. And that just blew my mind. And I've carried that with me ever since. That's interesting perspective. I, I never thought, I mean, I always thought that remote collaboration was definitely a tool that musicians can use, particularly during the pandemic to create great art. But from what you're telling me, it can almost be a tool to almost give you an advantage in the creative process because of some of these uh, benefits it gives you. And I did love the point that you made about how remote collaborations really come a long way, baby. I think about, like we were talking about the Postal Service earlier. The Postal Service got their name because Ben Gibbard and Jimmy Tamborello would, you know, wrote their albums remotely and literally would send tracks to each other in the U.S. mail back and forth to make this album and then we moved on to email. And now we today, and it's only been, when I say today, it's only been about 15 years since, you know, the Give Up album came out. You have all these high-tech tools, plugins like audio movers. A, a few weeks ago on the podcast, we had a couple founders uh, who created an app called Audio Bridge, which is a remote recording collaboration tool that is on the phone. It's an app on your phone. So all the tools that exist out there are creating amazing opportunities for artists like you. And the timing couldn't be any more important because, as we've said, remote collaboration is going to become the norm now for artists in light of COVID and, and just how dispersed artists are becoming now more than ever, getting away from music industry centers. And so let me ask this question to Jacob. For the artists out there who are finding themselves needing to embrace this technology, who are finding that if they want to collaborate, they have to embrace these remote collaboration tools because you can't get everybody in the studio together the way that you used to, do you have any advice for those new remote collaborators 
on what they can do to really get the most out of their projects in this new normal? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think a, a big part of um, creating music right now is like learn, being comfortable working in a doll and learning how to record your ideas and, and kind of get them to sound like they do in your head. I know when we're, we're all starting out, that was like the biggest frustration is, man, it sounds like this in my head, but I just can't get it there. So you almost need another person. Um, right now, that's you're kind of isolated from that. So YouTube has been a big thing, just on there every day, watching other people work and sharing information and learning. And um, you really got to dedicate yourself to it. So I'm, I'm on YouTube almost every day. I always have questions, always trying to learn a new way to do something. And uh, yeah, I think that's been the, the biggest tool. Also, don't be afraid to ask other people around you questions. Like I have friends that I've hit up and people that hit me up and people love to share information, love to help. Like I want everyone around me to win, you know, so, and make the best art they can. So I think it's all about helping each other and, and yeah. Jacob, how much of what you've learned about making music, producing records, using uh, digital audio workstations, how much of it came from formal education versus YouTube videos and, and learning from, uh, you know, platforms like that? Um, the majority of what's, has stuck with me has come from probably YouTube. I remember um, I was in another band prior to Foreign Air and there's four people in a room jamming ideas out. And and that's how we wrote songs. And we would need like an engineer and a producer in a, in a full studio to record those ideas. And um, I just never, that, that process was never like satisfied. Um, it never like satisfied what I wanted the records to sound like. So when that kind of ended, I locked myself in my apartment for months and just, and just figured out how to use Pro Tools, how to use Logic, and and just, yeah, didn't really leave. I was just in my room every day, just learning more and more and more. And then from going down to North Carolina and working with Jesse, um, that's kind of when we got into, like, the more electronic stuff, like the Native Instruments um, libraries and and bouncing ideas off each other. And he would show me, hey, have you checked out this thing called The Machine? And we started using, like, electronic drum samplers and stuff like that and sharing how each of us would use those things back and forth and kind of inspiring each other. I'm so inspired by that. And I know that a lot of musicians will be too. The The idea that you can make incredible art, like the way you guys did uh, with, with your debut album and with songs like free animal and monsters, that this kind of work is within the realm of people who, who are just willing to put in the work to learn this stuff on YouTube and you don't need a formal university education or expensive schools to do it. You just need hard work and a desire to learn. And I, I'm still in awe of the art you guys have been able to create from that. And I'm not the only one who's taken notice, of course. Your music is, guy, has been featured in prominent ad campaigns for Nike and other platforms. Uh, let me ask you, Jesse, uh, what does it mean for you guys to get that Nike placement when, when you first heard it for the first time, uh, how did it make you feel? And, and how is, how has that placement changed things for you guys? It was incredible. I mean, it's a dream come true, really. Like, especially with Jake and I sort of grinding it out in, in previous projects for years and, you know, sleeping on floors and touring and, you know, you start in like your mom's minivan and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then as you get older, you know, your parents start to worry about you. Like my dad was always asking, like, how are things? Like, you know, my dad's always focused on the financials, you know, like, and uh, I think that's a huge thing. I mean, obviously the Nike campaign and and the TV show placements and all, all of that stuff, like keeps, keeps the band going, keeps it afloat. Um, especially now with not being able to tour as well. 
um, it's, it's very doable. And I don't know what we would do. I mean, if we didn't have that opportunity and it's funny to think about how back, back when we were growing up in the nineties, you would consider it selling out, you know, if you're in an ad campaign or something, it was like uncool. And, um, I enjoy that it's it's not looked at that way now. It's looked at as, you know, companies like funding artists and some of them, the TV shows, you know, like on Showtime, you discover really cool music that way. And the, the music directors are trying to curate, you know, really cool things that they find, you know, to help bands out. It's really awesome. I found a lot of great music that way as well. Yeah, that's how I that's pretty much my primary music discovery tool, especially nowadays where I'm not in my car anymore. So I'm not listening to terrestrial radio. All the cool stuff I I am adding to my Spotify playlist and everything is coming from television. Television is now the primary driver of the, the art that I'm getting to enjoy. And I know it's that way for a lot of other music fans out there. So I'm thrilled for you to, that you got out on the forefront of it. And speaking of sync placements, we've asked a lot of guests on this program about advice on how to get sync placements and how to get discovered by music supervisors. And I don't want to go down that road with you guys because we, we've, we've traversed that terrain plenty on this show. What I want to ask you guys about, Jacob, is what happens next? So you get that Nike placement, right? And you get these Showtime placements. Do you have advice for artists on how to capitalize on these things once you get them? You know, Once you build the momentum of a really good, juicy sync placement— what do you do next for, for artists who get that kind of placement? What should they do to make the most of it and keep that momentum rolling? Um, that's a really good question. I think to take a little step back, like when we were working on the original um, songs and writing and stuff, I felt, I kept hearing songs that I liked in um, TV shows and stuff. I was watching like on HBO and stuff. And I kind of kept track of the, like what I was hearing. I had a little playlist, like a Shazam playlist of things I found in shows that I liked. And I kind of noticed that they were all around a certain BPM. And so while we were working on Free Animal, it was originally a little bit slower, almost in like an R&B like BPM. And I love that version of the song. But we were about to put out our first single. And I was like, all these songs that are having so much success right now are in a certain BPM. There's got to be a reason for it. And so we tried speeding Free Animal up a little bit faster. And it took on a whole new feeling and a whole new groove. And uh, it was exciting. Like it just kind of changed that dynamic in a new way for us. And that was a version that we ended up putting out. And then... um very early on, like we just started getting a lot of syncs from it. Like Nike hit us up basically on Facebook Messenger and was like, hey, we love this song. We just heard it. Can we use it in the new campaign? Um, I think that was important too. It's like, it's like almost like going out and seeing shows or like going out to like clubs and hearing music. Like you got to pay attention to your surroundings and kind of see like what's working and and just like what's happening culturally, like, I think really like helps. Um, but in terms of like when you get the first sync and how to capitalize on it, for us, we grew up touring and bands and like booking shows and we're very we had a very much like diy approach about the whole thing so we kind of did the same thing with this like we got a booking agent um luckily and we just started touring and i, I saw people like on those first early tours they would hear that song and they would like point to their friend or something and, and recognize it from the commercial so like they were through touring and playing shows they were able to connect dots of like oh i know that song and now that song is this band a lot of times I think people hear a song in a show and, and they just like the song and they know it's free animal, but they don't really know like the artists per se. And I think that's a big um, hurdle. A lot of new artists have to 
come over like on Spotify too, that the whole playlist thing, like people love playlists and love songs and they'll save a song. They don't, they're not always like paying attention to like what the artist is. You almost got to like connect that dot for them somehow. Wow. That's a really good point, especially in playlisting culture, right? Where songs are, are a lot more commoditized than they used to be in, in the sense that it's easier than ever, especially in the world of playlists for fans to separate the art from the artist, and you just become one more song on the playlist. And so you as artists have to take additional steps to really make sure that that strong bond is crafted between you and the fans so that they keep coming back and, and, and you're, and they don't just become a fan of that song. They become a fan of your art generally. And it sounds like you guys are really purposeful about that. And I was also impressed by your answer in the sense that, and this is something that didn't necessarily occur to me that, a key to getting sync placements is to really be purposeful about it. It's not just about creating good music and hoping that somebody discovers it. It sounds like you guys really did your homework. You guys looked at what was out there. You looked at what music supervisors had an appetite for, and you really tried to cater to that, right? A little bit, but I think the original songs always start from like a genuine place. Like we, we're not writing songs for TV shows or for certain syncs. Like we write a lot of songs, like even with the album, we had, probably over 50 songs that we narrowed down to 16. So we're always writing, but it's good to take a step back and be like, oh, this song, people are really reacting to it. Like, where does it fit in the world kind of thing? And then that kind of more influences the production and than anything else. Like uh, how to sonically get it to like kind of fit in a world where you think it's going to have the most success. Um, but the, the lyrics and the, the actual song usually start from a very personal place. I dig that, and I appreciate it. And now I just want to hear some music. I, I, we've we've gotten the listeners excited enough about the stuff you guys are doing, and now I'd love to give them just a little bit of a sample so that they come back for more. We have your song Monsters queued up and ready to go, and I love this song, and I know the listeners are going to right now, so we're going to play this right now. This is Monsters by our guests Foreign Air here on the Break the Business podcast.
was Monsters by our guests Foreign Air here on the Break the Business podcast. Jesse Jacob, that was terrific. Thank you so much for letting us play that. I am in such a good mood now. This has been a terrific interview. I love hearing your story about how you were able to collaborate and make amazing art together. I loved hearing about how you were able to make the most of these sync placements and craft strong, powerful relationships with your fans and get a lot of streams along the way. There's a lot to like about you two gentlemen, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Before we let you go, I'm going to ask this question to each of you separately. We're going to get two answers for the price of one here. We'll start with you, Jacob. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners to help them move their careers forward? Uh, Definitely. I think the biggest thing that we've learned and come across, um, is right now in today's music world, it's really understanding what type of artist you want to be and where, when you're going out there and, and deciding, do I want to sign with this label? Or do I want to sign with this publisher? Uh, really knowing where your goals um, align. For us, like owning our masters has been such a big thing for us. And I don't know if all um, up and coming artists understand, like when you get that first offer and let's say they're, it's for X amount at that time, it's a lot of money to you, but over the course of maybe X amount of years, it's not going to be a lot of money. So we owning our masters is like so key to us. It allows us to do music full time. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. that's like the biggest thing. Master ownership. That's what I'm talking about here. We're going to play a little cartoon party horn for you just to let you know how much I appreciate any answer that involves artists keeping their masters as an entertainment lawyer who represents artists. That's uh, music to my ears and uh, music that you get to keep. So I love it. All right. Uh, Jesse, same, or, sorry. Yeah. Jesse, same question. Uh, big thing for me, I heard something recently about just the way the brain works and people that are business minded versus people that are creatively minded. Um, not that the two worlds don't, you know, meet in the middle as well, but I think there is some truth to very creative people not having the personality traits to be able to capitalize on their creativity. And that's why you fall into a lot of stories and you hear a lot of stories across the board, no matter what type of industry people being taken advantage of. And I think it's really important to 
find relationships with people that you trust that can help you capitalize on your creativity. Because you might be in the studio making songs like I am a ton and not thinking about, you know, how to how to make a career out of something or how to monetize your your art. And you know, you want to find someone that you trust, that you believe in, that believes in you, that's not going to take advantage of you to help, you know, take your vision and put it in, you know, the public sphere, release it. You know, if it weren't for uh, our manager and Jake, even Jake's like on the other side and has a much better mind than I do in terms of like, when are we going to put st stuff out? We need to get the artwork together and, and dealing with all of that stuff. And I feel like we're a great collaboration in that way um, as well, where I would probably just be making tons of music and I would never put anything out because <laughs> I'm just always wanting to create and I, I can't think that way very well. So I would definitely say trying to form a team around you, not a giant team, but finding people to help you is, is definitely key and make sure they're good people. Owning your masters and building the right team. I mean, you bet you guys basically just summarized my whole book in about uh, 60 seconds. But two fantastic <laughs> answers from two fantastic musicians. We got Jesse and Jacob here from Foreign Air. You can find out more about their music by visiting www.foreignair.net. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having us. Big fan of the show. Um, really excited to be on. Oh, thank Check you. Check out our record. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast.